podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kittramelides, and as ever, uh, I've got Sidlo with me. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, how are you? I'm alright mate, I'm here to talk about match day 24 in La Liga with you. Well that's lucky because so am I. Yeah, you up for that? Shall yeah. we do that? Good Let's idea. do that. These are the results so far from Match Day 24 on Friday. Uh, we saw Sevilla uh, grind out a 2-0 win at home against Elche. A big result uh, in terms of the title race. They're now only four points behind leaders Real Madrid, who on Saturday drew 0-0 at the Estadio de la Ceramica against Villarreal. Before that, we'd seen another goalless draw as well between Cadiz and uh, Celta. Celta missing a very, very late penalty, which would have given them all three points. Uh, also on Saturday, Rio's mini slump at home continues. They lost a third consecutive game in Vallecas, this time 3-0 at the hands of Osasuna. And then Saturday night at the Estadio Wanda Metropolitano saw the craziest game for a while, for a long, long time. Uh, Atletico Madrid 4, Getafe 3 is how it finished. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast probably on this game, but we uh, but we won't. Uh, Sunday saw Alaves win their first league game for three months. They beat Valencia by two goals to one. Uh, Levante remain rock bottom of the table and... I'll let you in on a little secret, guys. They're going down. Uh, they lost 4-2 uh, to Real Betis, and it looks really, really bad for them. Uh, quite the opposite uh, for Betis, who are absolutely flying. Real Sociedad beat Granada by two goals to nil to end uh, their mini slump as well. They hadn't scored more than one goal in their own stadium this season in La Liga, uh, La Real, but they did on Sunday to pretty comfortably beat Granada, although Granada had a couple of good chances in the first half. And then the Sunday night big game was the Catalan derby between Espanyol and Barcelona, which finished 2-2 in dramatic circumstances with Luke de Jong coming off the bench to score a 90-second minute equaliser for Barcelona. Uh, while I've got you listeners, I just want to let you know that over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP this week, we're going to have a question and answer pod answering all your questions. That'll be out tomorrow. We're also going to have a bonus podcast on Friday talking PSG Real Madrid in the Champions League, Atleti Levante in La Liga and the Europa League games including Barca and Napoli. And don't forget to check out the free clip of our latest TSFP Presents series at the Games, which is out now here on the Monday podcast feed. It's our series of uh, tourist guides to going to cities in Spain and where to eat where to watch your football, how to get there. Uh, hopefully it's a pretty useful listen. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Costs four euros a month. Pretty good value for all the content that you get. Sydney, let's give the listeners some content, shall we? And uh, start talking about the uh, the Catalan derby uh, on Sunday night. Espanyol 2, Barca 2. It was, it was. It basically had everything a derby should have. Uh, it was goals, there was sending off, there was hostile uh, atmosphere, there was uh, challenges flying in it. It had everything. And then it had a very, very late winner from an unexpected player as well. which Equaliser. Yes, that's true. And actually, I suppose that means you get to this, this post-match thing where the inevitable question is, does this sound more, feel more like a winner or an equaliser to you? Have you, have you? have you dropped two points or have you gained one? And, and, and both teams... I think at the end of it, at least claim that they felt they should have had more, which I think also adds to the feeling that this was a really good derby because Barcelona, I think, felt that this equaliser was long coming or at least maybe they should have put the game out of sight earlier on. Espanyol, having led for so long because it was the best part of half an hour, um, then then obviously caught very late on. And it was really enjoyable, 
really good atmosphere, uh, a, a real sense of opportunity for Espanyol, which I suppose is one of the reasons why it hurt so much for them at the end when they didn't get the victory, because it's now been 24 league derbies without them winning, and that's a new Spanish record. It was The previous record was 23, which of course was Atletico <laughs> against Real Madrid. And they haven't won in their own stadium against uh, Barcelona in the league uh, since 2007, which is, which is a really long time against... Well, and that was a different stadium as well. So in, in the stadium they That's now, they now they've occupy, never, yeah, yeah, yeah. they've never won a derby at Cornea Prat. That's true. Yeah. It's a complete, completely different stadium in a completely different uh, part of town uh, as well. Uh, Luke de Jong then is the, uh, is the match winner, the man who got the, uh, got the headlines. Have you, have you been writing about him today? I have, yes. Yes, um, understandably so. We uh, we had him on our show on La Liga TV after the game. He was, as always, just came across so, so well. Speaks so sincerely as well. He just seems like a really down-to-earth guy. He knows his place in the team. He said, I'm here to help. When the crosses start being pumped into the box, that's what I'm coming on to do, to try and get on the end of them. I know there are a lot of good players that have come here. Uh, I know that I'm not going to get as many minutes, but I'm here to just help. It's it's hard not to like someone like that. I, I really do like him, and I, and I like that part of him. There's no, uh, there's no sense of vindication. Given the way that he has at times been dismissed, the kind of tone that's been used to talk about him, the way he's been laughed at... I think it's incredible that he's never reciprocated any of that bitterness, ever. Yes, ever. There's a, there's, I mean, obviously, look, in part, and, and I'm, I'm sure there is an argument to say this, it's partly because he realises he's at a club that's probably bigger than him, uh, or bigger than, than, than the level he thought he would get to, that there's an acceptance of that, that there's a feeling that, look, I'll hang on for as long as I can, and I'll be useful, and I'm not going to aspire to do more than that, because I know my limitations, I accept that there are better players than me. Uh, but I do think at times that he was treated almost as a figure of fun when, when he shouldn't have been. Uh, I also think that he was treated as a, as a perhaps as a, as a symbol of what was going wrong at Barcelona, which I can understand, actually, I can. Uh, if you're buying someone like Luke de Jong, it's an illustration of the fact that there's something wrong. But there's a difference, I think, between seeing him as, as a symbol or, a, or, or as a, if you like, a symptom of the, of the issue and seeing him as the cause. And I think some people were effectively almost treating him as if he was the cause, as if this was in any, any way his fault. The other thing to say about him is that while his goal-scoring record hasn't always been great, it's been OK. Over two seasons, and in, in Holland it was very good, over two seasons at Sevilla he scored 19 goals. Not a huge amount, spread over two seasons in all competitions. But he got big ones. He scored against Betis. He scored against Barcelona. He scored against Manchester United. He scored two in the UEFA Cup final against Inter. So this is a guy who who can be useful. And of course, and this was the stat that I was asking you about earlier on today, this morning. Um, he's now scored four times in the last five Barcelona games. And those points are the difference between a current Champions League place and being ninth. Uh, yep, he's directly, directly won them five points with his with his goals. So yeah, uh, they would be in, in ninth position without those goals. By the way, I think you could argue that he's unfortunate that it's only that many because one of those, of course, is a one-one draw where they get caught in the 89th minute. I think. Yes. So he's done his bit, if you see what I mean, and he goes off, and they actually lost control when he went off. Mm. Um, Luke de Jong proving to be very important for uh, for Barcelona. This was a, it was it was a wild game because Barcelona scored after seventy five seconds. Then Espanyol got themselves uh, in front, obviously uh, equalising through Sergi uh, Darder in, in spectacular fashion, and then Raúl de Tomás 
Sorry, r.d.t. You, you probably don't know who Raldo Tomas is, but you know who r.d.t. is. Uh, he scored his 13th league goal of the season after some some pretty questionable defending from, from Eric Garcia. The ball over the top from Sergi Dardes is magnificent. The control from uh, Raldo Tomas is, is wonderful, as is the finish. But the question marks over Eric Garcia's defending are pretty big. Uh, and that's, yes, that's not the first time we've said it this season. Do you want to talk about Eric Garcia? Um, only very briefly. Uh, just, to, just to say that there's been a marked improvement in Barcelona's performances in recent weeks and in particular in the reliability of them. And I don't want to be over-reductionist about this, but it is worth noting that, that has been without Eric Garcia. Now, I don't think that's purely being uh, about him not being there, but it's about settling in a partnership of PK mm. and Araujo. And I've never truly been able to understand why Araujo wasn't just the automatic first choice at centre-back anyway. Um, and, and all the more so found it hard to understand when, when Eric Garcia was. Now, Eric clearly has, he's good on the ball. He, 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 I think he understands the game well in terms of bringing the ball out. Positionally, I think there are some really significant issues. Now, it's possible that we can look at him a little bit like we do with Busquets when we analyse Busquets, and we've done this a lot over the last couple of years, and, and look at it as a systemic thing. That if the system, if the system is functioning, you'll say, wow, what a good player. But if it breaks down, perhaps he doesn't, kind of cover the wider spaces particularly well, which, of course, Ronald Araujo, who's a, who's a more physical defender, a quicker defender, I think I think does. Yes, I don't think there's too many people who would argue with that that analysis, Sydney, uh, although Barca are in trouble in terms of the centre-back position, <laughs> in terms of injuries, because yes. uh, Araujo is out, obviously, um, Piquet is going to be suspended because he got off, he got sent off uh, in this game as well. And let's see how uh, Lengley and Anumtiti are. That uh, they, they do still play there, and uh, Eric Garcia is the perhaps going to be the only man standing for for the next game or so. But but let's see. Um, we, I'm conscious of the fact that we've got so much to pack into today's uh, program and and only a limited amount of time. I'll let you in on a little secret, guys. Uh, we're recording before Carlo Ancelotti's press conference in the Champions League. We've got to be done by then. So uh, we are a little bit short for time, which is why we're going we're gonna to move on. If you do have a question that you want us to talk about, if there's something that we don't talk about, you want us to do it, send us a, send us a question and we'll answer it on the, on the Q&A pod uh, tomorrow. Just briefly on Raul de Tomas, 13 league goals. Only Karim Benzema has scored more than him in La Liga. He is someone who is, who is absolutely delivering this season when there were some question marks about whether he he could do it in La Liga yes he'd scored a lot of goals one season for for Rayo Vallecano but we'd never really seen him thrive at the the top top level and there's no question about that now at the moment is there Uh, absolutely right and 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 I think it's true that we we did have those doubts that we weren't sure whether he really was a first division player or really was a top top first division player and 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 he actually has absolutely has done i just want to go through something for you okay and 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 uh because i'm just looking at the stats here because i was i was conscious of what i thought was the case i'm looking at the stats to confirm it 13 goals and unless i'm reading this wrong in 13 different games uh-huh. I think. Okay. Uh, so this is not a guy yeah, yeah. who's got 13 goals because he's had a couple of lucky splurges. Yes. You know, because because one week, for argument's sake, and apologies for saying this, Levante fans, you know, one week he's beaten up on Levante. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's not because of that. So it's it's one against Atletico, it's one against Alaves, one against Real, one against Cardiff, one against Elche, one against Atletic, one against Granada, one against Levante again, one against Valencia, one against Elche, one against Cardiff, one against Betis. And last night against Barcelona. Okay, um, very detailed breakdown of Raul de Tomas's 13 league goals this season. He is 
on fire. Uh, we've got to move on and talk about uh, the game of the season. You were at Espanyol Barca, by the way, which was a really, really fantastic game to be at. Mm. What the bloody hell was Atletico <laughs> Madrid Catafe like to be at? Because let's just set the context of this fixture. Atletico Madrid had absolutely dominated Getafe for the last 10 years. Last 20 meetings um, in all competitions, 17 wins, three draws, one goal conceded in the last 20 matches yeah. and they concede twice inside the first half an hour of this game it was yeah. just a unbelievably uh, ridiculous it was a ridiculous game it was a ridiculous yeah it game. was it was the aggregate score I think was 36-1 coming into this it game was. since Simeone's been in charge um, and that was completely blown out the window I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little bit like a killjoy, but let me say it anyway. Uh, this was wild and it was fun and it was, it was gloriously silly. But it's also true that there were more, more goals than football. That is also what true. What do you mean by that? Bear, well, bear in mind that, and Simeone said this after the game, and you might well argue that, well, of course he says this because it suits him. But he was fundamentally right when he said, look, Hitafe scored two goals with two penalties that came from almost nothing. And that's true. Two handballs that uh, Atletico had a penalty which they missed and they didn't really it's not like they created loads of chances when they took that early lead but it did seem like they were completely in control so this was a game that I kind of felt like there were more goals being scored than should have been scored okay you see what I mean I don't think I remember more than a couple of saves in the whole game for example I don't remember it being a game I, I don't have this image of Apart from the unbelievable penalty save, of course, from David Sodia, which was which was absolutely fantastic. I don't have kind of an image of oh, another chance wasted, or another chance just gone, another one just gone. And in fact, at three three, there's a moment, and Simeone said post game um, this, but there's also a bit of a camera that catches him doing it, which is is interesting because it obviously confirms what he said. But it's interesting to see it like this. There's a moment with about fifteen minutes to go where he shouts at Koke, and he basically says one. You will get one. There will be one chance. There doesn't need to be more than one chance. And as it turned out, they did get one because they weren't really piling into Getafe late on, by which point, of course, they were down to 10 men. Because you get a horrific challenge from Felipe. Like a challenge that nobody could question. It's like, yeah, all right, off. In fact, you should be sent off four times for that. Uh, and and, and they, 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 they kind of, it's not like they were overwhelming Getafe, but they got there and then 4 3, two home games in a row now where they've scored the winner. Um, into into extra well not quite into extra time last time it was 50, 96 or something this time was 89th so not quite in extra time when they something has we said this all season but look Atletico Madrid the team where it used to be 0 0 1-1 1-0 1-0 1-0 0-0 1-1 1-0 0-0 all this it's now been 4-3 4-2 3-2 and 2-2 in the last four league games Always watch Atletico. So this is much better than this version of Atletico Madrid. Oh, it's much more fun. for us. It's, it's more. It's more. For, I, 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 I must confess, I did actually ask Simeone that. I said, look, this is a lot of fun for us, but what's it like for you? <laughs> and he, and he said, well, look, man, he said, as managers, we don't really want it to be like this because we mm-hmm. want control. We want to understand that we that we know what's happening. He said, but you know, I'm sure the fans. I'm sure the fans thought it was much better this way. Yeah, he. Much prefer a one nil to a to a four three, but uh, yeah. there we go. There is this absolutely ludicrous stat going around about Atletico Madrid's uh, goals conceded this season, uh, which is that they've conceded thirty three uh, so far this season, which is more than in the entirety of every previous season 
under Diego Pablo Simeone. So they've conceded 33 goals already this season and there's still 15 games to go yeah. and they've already conceded yeah. more than in every other full season under Simeone. That just gives you an idea of what we're dealing with here with this version of Atletico Madrid this season. Yeah, and it tells you something that there is a very, very significant disconnect. We've used the phrase identity crisis all year and I absolutely, absolutely think that's right. Not necessarily... Mm because they don't know what they want to be, or, Louis, or, or, or rather, sorry, Diego Simeone doesn't know what he wants to be, but with the players he's got, he's not convinced he can be, and he's not convinced that they're following him. As I've said mm. before, and I, I, I still stand by it, part of their problem is that they are league champions. That changes emotionally everything. I was doing the show last night with Graham Hunter, who, who had a little delve into the stats and saw that Savic and Jimenez had only started 10 games together yes. this season. And, and when they have played, the goals conceded have been considerably uh, less. So there has been uh, that aspect well, as well. We said that we said this to we said this ten days or so ago, and we because we at that point I think they'd only started eight or nine. Well, they must have done because it's two since then. As hence mm. Graham's stats, and I think they'd only lost one of them. And as you say, their defensive record was much better. But then they went to the Camp Nou and, and conceded yes, four. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see how Atletico Madrid managed to. Uh, <laughs> Managed to uh, calm things down a little bit. I think. I think even the fans at this point would take a little one nil, uh, just grind out a little one nil, just to get back to keeping clean sheets and perhaps being defensively solid. They're in action midweek, a uh, postponed game against Levante, which is probably just about the kind of game that you want right now. Uh, well, I tell you, what, if they concede goals against Levante, then they really will think there's something horribly wrong here. Mind you, well, Levante, Levante do score goals. Yeah, it's, yeah it's they do Alaves, score goals. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, def- yeah. it's the defensive side of things that's a problem with Levante. Yeah. Yes. Uh, quick word about Getafe as well. Uh, they were so, so, so close to, to to winning this game. They definitely deserved something from this game, I think. But they'll they'll still be pretty pretty happy with. with yeah, with how I they mean, to be honest, post game they were they were all relatively calm about yeah. the fact that they'd been beaten. I think that was to be expected. They they weren't happy about it, and actually, a couple of the players coming up the tunnel were kind of shouting, sort of, you know, how can this keep happening? You know, how could this happen? And and this is a disgrace, and and this isn't fair, sort of thing. Um, but more, you know, more sort of shouted in the air rather than shouted at anyone in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is a, a fundamental fact there which is that they know they're on the right tracks they know they're playing well Enneson now scores twice more admittedly they're both from the penalty spots but that's 11 goals now for him and and he's been brilliant and, and I think there is a sense that they're absolutely in the right place certainly are um, much much better than when Kike Sanchez Flores took over of course uh, quick yeah. words obviously about Villarreal and Real Madrid it finished nil nil at the Estadio de la Ceramica we saw Gareth Bale play a match of football. Uh, yeah. His first game since August. <laughs> Hadn't played for six months. He started with Karim Benzema out injured. Started in a central forward position. And well, he actually did pretty well, to everyone's surprise. Yeah. Look, I, I was on the radio on Saturday afternoon um, doing the game immediately before this one. And so there was a bit of build-up to the Real Madrid game during the commentary of the game I was doing, which was the Cadiz game. So maybe that's to be expected, not just because it's Real Madrid, because the Cadiz game was not very interesting. Um, but there was this kind of collective sort of shaking of the head that they're giving Gareth Bale a go and how on earth can you play him and how can you justify this? And there's a, there's a real kind of moral crusade against Bale at the moment. Mm. But, but then when, it, when it kind of, we start stripping it down a little bit to the practicalities and, and you know, what this says about what he believes that Jovic can do, maybe what it says about um, Hazard as well. But one of the things that I don't think anyone picked up on, and or at least I felt that no one was picking up on it, and so, so I did, basically. I said, well, look, the last two games... 
Isco's played as false nine, and Asensio's played as false nine. So if you look at this lineup, and today Gareth Bale is playing as false nine, not on the wing, which they seem to think he was going to play on the wing, and I was saying, oh, I think he's going to be a false nine. And, I, and, the, and the point I said to him was that of those three, he's the least false of the false nines. Mm-hmm. He's the one that can most be a number nine. And if you don't trust in Jovic, for whatever reason, I, find, I must admit, I do find it baffling. If you're not going to use Mariano and if Benzema is injured, I also think this was partly a test run for Paris, or at least a let's have a look at him and see if this can work. And I thought he played all right. He could have had three goals. I think you could argue that he was unlucky on two of them and one of them, the closer in one that he tried to nudge past the keeper, perhaps he could have finished better. But he played all right. I must admit, I had to double check this this afternoon. I was actually saying this to Al just now before we came on air. Um, 28th of August, the last time he played. Mm -hmm. Like somewhere in my mind... I'd sort of told myself, well, he must have had a few minutes here and there. But it's literally no, nothing. No, no, no. It's 28th of August and nothing since then. He hasn't played at the Bernabeu since pre-pandemic. Wow, yes, of course, of course. And I yet mean, he, he lasted sad. 73 minutes and was probably Real Madrid's most dangerous player alongside with uh, alongside Vinicius. Let's see if he gets some minutes in Paris tomorrow night. Real Madrid in action in the Champions League, of course, against PSG. Villarreal holding Real Madrid to a... To a nil-nil draw for the second time this season. And I say Villarreal holding Real Madrid yeah. because, well, certainly in the first half, Villarreal were considerably better team, as it was in the in the Bernabeu as well earlier on uh, this season. But again, they couldn't find a way mm. into the goal when they, uh, when they were dominating the game. There, there is something that I was really struck by in the first half. I am struggling genuinely. And obviously, look, there will be examples that I just can't think of. So I'm not stating this as an absolute statement of fact, but I'm stating this in terms of I can't think of an example. I can't remember the last time I saw a team get so close to the other team's goal. And I mean physically, I don't mean in terms of chances. How often it seemed that Villarreal were pulling the ball back to each other inside the six-yard box. Mm-hmm. How, how kind of geographically close they seemed to be to the Madrid goal all the time. Which actually didn't translate into as many chances as it should have done. Because you'd get someone to the byline and it pulled back and it would go behind someone. Or, or the, the final pass would be a poor one. Or it would get caught under someone's feet. But Villarreal were deep, deep inside Real Madrid's penalty area. For a lot of that half. It wasn't that they were pushing them back on and getting some shots around the edge of the box. They were getting shots inside the box, or at least getting possession inside the box. And I'd love to know the stats. I'd love to know if that's borne out, if in terms of action areas, this is the highest a team has ever played, if you sort of mean. Mm. Because it felt like it. But again, they didn't create as many clear chances as they might. There's a, a couple of saves, there's a shot against the post, and they were really, really good, I felt, Villarreal with the ball, until perhaps sometimes that last pass. And then, as you say, the second half was completely different. Mm. And it was different to the game at the Bernabeu, because at the Bernabeu, Villarreal attacked Madrid and created chances coming in at them from the left-hand side into space. This time, it was pushing them right back and then going into them. And it was a different approach, and I think this tells you something about the variety that Villarreal have, about how well worked they are, but it still sometimes feels like this that little something missing. Mm. And I must confess, I thought Real Madrid's response in the second was very good indeed. Mm. I thought after a first half in which, and Ancelotti used the phrase, lack of ganas. There was no desire, there was no will, there was no uh, sort of sense of commitment or concentration. And that was true. This was a really kind of, uh, whatever, performance from Madrid. And yet in the second half, and it's not that easy normally to just turn it on. I thought they were really quite good in the second half, Real Madrid. Yes, certainly. Uh, OK, um, let's see how Real Madrid get on this week in the Champions League, potentially without 
Karim Benzema, even if he does play, he's not going to be uh, 100%. Mm. Bireal, of course, they're in the Champions League as well. Uh, still, they've got a, a fixture to look forward to in a couple of weeks against uh, Juventus. Uh, before we uh, before we dwell on the Segunda División and, uh, and Oviedo and <laughs> what they did, should we talk about that, Sid? No. Uh, <laughs> just... Well, let's let's just very briefly say I was watching this on my way to Barcelona for the um, for the derby, and I managed to get just enough reception on the train to to watch this game. And I'll be honest, I was pretty tired the night before the Atletico game had finished very late. Oviedo going to a three nil lead, and I've got the laptop on, and Oviedo three nil, and I'm getting more and more tired, and I fall asleep. I get woken up by the third Wesker goal. <laughs> I can't believe you've done this, you bastards. Yes, they, they, they did manage to do it. So we will not dwell on uh, <laughs> on that. I'll give you uh, um, some other uh, top lines from the Segunda uh, in just a moment. But I feel like we've got to talk about, about Nabil Fakir, who scored oh. twice in Betis's uh, 4-2 win at Levante. And it's interesting. I mean, I think I've been banging this drum for, for a while now. Producer Al has put this uh, in the production notes as well. And my editor, Carlos, on the show last night in La Liga TV was saying this in my ear as well. And the question is... How close is Nabil Fakir to being the best player in La Liga? Well, at the very start of the season, we said it was him and Vinicius and Benzema, didn't we? And, and at the start, and he actually had a little lull in the middle, Fakir. I mm. think right now, given that Benzema's injured, he's, he, at the moment, and admittedly... I mean, right moment, now, this week, you mean? <laughs> well, right now is in the last month or so. The last four or five weeks, he's the best player in Spain. And he, but but that's part of the accumulative effect of the whole season. Obviously, across the whole season, I think it's still Benzema or maybe Vinicius. But I think he's brilliant. And the great thing about, well, the many there are many good things about him. But he's a lot of fun to watch as well. He's not just a good player. He's a really mm. enjoyable player. He combines well with other people. He does technical things that others don't do, but he's got the physicality as well. He's got an eye for a pass, although that's not really what most defines his game. He can finish, but that's not really what defines his game either. There's... There's just kind of a presence about him that sort of says, shit happens when this guy has the ball, you know? And it's just, he's just, uh, he's just lovely to watch. Really, really enjoy watching him play. Mm. Uh, he's top three in La Liga uh, for uh, assists, uh, key passes per game, through balls per game. And he's actually played a lot of minutes. Yes, well, he has. Because yeah, he's he been reliable and consistent too, yeah. He basically plays every game. Yeah. I, and I don't know how high he'll be on uh, c- completed dribbles, but I imagine that will be pretty high as well. Hmm. Uh, I can uh, I can tell you uh, completed dribbles. Yeah, he's uh, he's right up there on completed dribbles as well, Sydney. He's a uh, he's a guy who is just uh, a lot of fun to watch, as we said. And long may that continue. There was always a question mark a little bit about his his attitude, about whether he sort of turned it on when he fancied it against the big sides. But this season and and, and last season as well, he's he's added consistency. In a way, well. that becomes self self perpetuating. A little it? bit. If you yeah. if you have a team yeah. that plays well, if you've got a player you say, well, he only plays well in the big games, you get a team that starts playing well and therefore creates a demand for itself, a need to win. That, by definition, turns games that previously might not have been seen as big ones into big ones. Mm. And so it becomes self-perpetuating. And I think that's been very good for him. And by the way, quietly... And because he's always quiet, Manuel Pellegrini, what a manager. I mean, yes. And it's not <laughs> just, just what he's done at Betis. I mean, he's it's been everywhere a very good he's manager, been. everywhere yeah. he's gone. Everywhere yeah. he's gone. He's done really, really well. But he has done it in this quiet, unassuming way, which makes you kind of, 
if not forget about him, but maybe just overlook him a little yes. bit. But we, we really, really, really shouldn't. Uh, what, what a job he's doing with this Betis side, who are absolutely flying. Uh, third in La Liga, they've got the Europa League as well this, this week to look forward to. They're playing Zenit St. Petersburg, and they're also in the semi-finals of the Copa del Rey. So an extraordinary season for Los Verde Blancos, I suppose. The, the only negative thing is that Sevilla are above them in the table, uh, despite having this uh, this incredible season. But maybe maybe they won't be too bothered I'll about that. I'll tell you that. what, I tell you, if, if they finish in a Champions League place, and I'm not saying necessarily win it, but get further than Sevilla in Europe, yes, and win and win a cup. And I'm, obviously, I'm saying a lot of big yeah, things that's, here. That's right? A lot of ifs. They, 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 they don't care if Sevilla are ahead of them. Yeah. Okay. I really don't think I don't think they'll care about that because I think they'll see the cup and Europe as being bigger mm. in terms of a head-to-head sense of season. Mm. Okay, um, before we go, um, we mentioned uh, Oviedo throwing away that 3-0 lead uh, in the Segunda to draw 3-3 with Huesca. Elsewhere, Eibar drew 0-0 with Fuenlabrada. That means their lead at the top is down to just a point after second place Almeria won 1-0 at Malaga. This week in the Champions League, on Tuesday, you've got PSG against Real Madrid. On Wednesday, uh, you've got that uh, rearranged uh, La Liga game, Atletico Madrid against Levante. Then on Thursday... Big night of European football for Spanish sides. Barcelona against Napoli. Zenit St. Petersburg against Betis. Sevilla Dinamo Zagreb. And RB Leipzig against La Real. So loads of games for us to look forward to this week involving Spanish sides. We'll be uh, talking about all of them on our bonus podcast at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. So why don't you come and join us and ask us a question as well for tomorrow's uh, Q&A pod. If you'd rather not, don't worry. We'll be back here as we always are next Monday, talking about Spanish football. So you can join us then. Adios. Cheerio. Network.